lucky for you. Um, I know Nick likes to do it, and it's, it is a cool idea. So can we just stand? I'm just going to read the passage we're going to be sharing from this morning. Uh, this is Psalm 1, and it's titled The Two Ways. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Choice. Have a seat, guys. So I need to empty my pockets because I fidget. And it's frustrating. Cool. So, sorry. So I grew up in a Christian home. Um, I've been attending church and stuff. Uh, my whole life, um, as a regular attendant, and in sort of late teens, early twenties, got stuck into home groups and um, youth groups, and serving wherever I could on Sundays and things. Um, I was just the cliche young New Zealand Christian boy. Um, I didn't drink at school parties, and everyone knew I was a Christian, so my life looked a little different to my non-churched peers. But I never really knew God. As I mentioned last time I was up here, um, I had it sort of at a head level, but it was never really at a heart level. I always thought it was weird when people said Jesus was their friend, um, or worse, if they said that God had told them something, Um, because that certainly never happened to me. But how could it, really? I never spent time with the Lord. I mean, I prayed before bed every night, um, or if I needed something from my all-powerful genie, but that's about it. On the surface, I looked like I had it all together, and I did believe in Jesus. But on the inside, I was just doing stuff because that's what I thought I was supposed to do. There was no relationship. There was no deep calling or desire. Just going through the motions. And and that meant um, giving into sin and temptation in the secret place was um, all too easy without that connection. And so to many, it might have looked like I was planted by the stream, like the psalm says, but... Uh, and in fact, I honestly would have thought that I was, um, but looking back now with recently developed new lenses, um, I see that I was really more like the chaff blown away in the wind. And so the truth is our lives are constantly being shaped. Um, we may be super organized or very relaxed. We may be committed to something or nothing at all, but regardless, we are all being shaped. So the question is not, will we be shaped, but rather, what will we be shaped into, or what will we let shape us? Um, we may not be doing the wicked things like the psalm suggests, but even good things can disrupt um, in such a way that God gets forgotten or his kingdom work is neglected. And we are all called to be like him, and that requires intentionality. So which of the two ways, sorry, in which of the two ways will we be shaped? Um, Greg Boyd is a pastor in the States, and he has this great quote, our central job is not to solve the world's problems, our job is to draw our entire life from Christ and manifest that life to others. Nothing could be simpler. 
and nothing could be more challenging. So how exactly do we do that? We talked a lot last year about practicing the way with John Mark Comer. Um, he and his team have done an amazing job uh, setting up a template as such. And he's used, uh, heavily relied on Dallas Willard and lots of other scholars uh, for this content. And it's a super, help, super helpful way to help us establish rhythms and routines um, in our lives that both honor God and allow us to draw nearer to him. Um, and in doing so, try to become more like him, which is the ultimate goal. Um, it's not a legalistic thing, and it's certainly not a religious thing. Um, religion as a system causes cold-heartedness and stubbornness, um, and it fuels greed. Um, even just looking at the Pharisees throughout the Bible, that Jesus heals a man who hasn't walked in 38 years, and instead of celebrating this miracle and the renewal in this man's life, all the love and mercy that Jesus has shown him, they're immediately interrogating him and his parents as to why he picked up his mat and broke a Sabbath law. When law gets in the way of love, it brings death. And we want to avoid that. We just want to be like Jesus. And Psalm 1 makes this distinction beautifully in verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Tim Mackey shows that in the segment of the poem, someone living the good life delights and meditates on God's law, which makes him want to meditate on God's law more, which makes him delight in the law more, and it's an infinity loop. So the more that we do it, the more we get to taste the good life. Now with that said, I know I just said it's not about legalism and then read you a verse about being in God's law. So if that needs clarifying, it probably doesn't, but I'm going to speak into it anyway because that's what I've prepared. Um, in the English, the word law here, uh, sorry, in English, the word is law. In Hebrew, it's Torah, which is what the Jews actually call the first five books of their Bible, our Old Testament. And Torah can also be translated teaching or instruction because that's really what those five books are about. So if you view law as teaching or instruction on how to live the good life, like first one suggests, then it's easy to see that it's not about legalism. But if you view the word law like a court of law, where you get punished if you fail or miss the mark, it could very well become legalistic. But you can see and feel in the poem which way that word is being used here. The perishing that comes to the wicked is not from a judgment of God, rather just the result of them not being by the stream that feeds them. If a plant never receives water, it will wilt and die. But even a flower that's been cut off can still last a while if it's in water. We can't last with water either. So, as the psalm says, be planted by the stream. Nick has discussed the idea of a trellis, helping a plant grow, training it and holding it up to make sure it stays healthy and yields a good crop. As he's said, this is a great example of what having these practices in our lives is good for. Not stringent legalism, but an ability to flourish and thrive. We have uh, in our back section a massive banana vine, banana passion fruit vine, sorry. Um, it's growing, and its trellis is the rest of the plants and trees that are around it. And although in reality it's a weed that's running amok, um, it's actually a really good example of how the Holy Spirit can flow and spread when we as a community are all building these trellises together. The Bible constantly talks about water overflowing and plenty and abundance. 
Because God is a generous God, and he lavishes his love on us, unlike Vic's grandma with her ice creams. Um, and I'm sure this analogy is uh, familiar to some of you, or most of you. But again, just to speak against that legalism that can be assumed when these structures are mentioned. But think of a sports match, high level, high intensity, with a lot resting on the outcome for both teams, like a World Cup, for example. How different would that game be if there was no ref? Admittedly, as New Zealanders, we need to block out the last final we witnessed because we'd probably rather there was no ref, but if you ignore that and look, uh, the game would be chaos. If there's no one there to call to head high or the knock on, um, people just feel cheated, people get angry, it just gets messy and ugly. So although laws seem constricting, which in one sense they are, they also create a freedom to thrive. Like if you had a big field or park next to a main road that was fully fenced, the children can play freely with abandon and the parents can relax too. But if you're at that same park and remove the fence, suddenly the kids now need to be aware of what they're up to and the parents can definitely not relax. The fence is a limitation, yes, but it's providing a freedom that we can relax into. So we talk a lot about apprenticing to Jesus here and being like him. Nick showed me this quote from John Mark Comer. He says, There is no third category of Christians who generally agree with most of what Jesus was saying, but don't follow him or make a serious attempt to obey his teachings. John Mark talks about the fact that they're either disciples or the crowd. He talks about how there's this rhetoric running through the Gospels of his disciples and the crowds. He suggests there's an underlying question to the reader asking, which group are you in? In these two ways we're talking about today in Psalm 1, the disciples are those planted by the stream, and the crowds are those who aren't or choose not to be, basically everyone else. Verse 4 talks about the wicked being blown away like the chaff, not being planted by the river as God intended us to be. And Jesus says in Revelation to the church of Laodicea, I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. This passage is often used to say that God would rather you didn't follow him at all than do it half-heartedly. But if you look a bit closer, there is a different option, option that's also plausible. Jesus is using an analogy that is relevant to his audience. Laodicea didn't have its own water. To the north in Heropolis, they had hot springs that were used medicinally and for healing and such. And in the south in Colossae, they had cool springs that provided fresh drinking water. But Laodicea had to get their water by aqueduct. And the fresh drinking water from Colossae was nine or ten kilometers away. So by the time it reached them, it had become lukewarm and barely drinkable. So much so that you might want to spit it out of your mouth. Likewise, the hot water from the north had cooled and could no longer serve the purpose it could in its origins. It's the hot water serves a purpose, and the cool, fresh water serves a purpose. It's the lukewarm water that doesn't. Combine that statement with the fact that Jesus died to give us all eternal life. I think it's safe to assume that Jesus isn't saying, go all in or don't bother at all. 
Rather, he's saying, live into your full potential, whether that's hot or cold. Whatever your purpose is, do it planted by the stream. Being lukewarm is wasting what God has in store for you. And you are like the wicked, and the chaff is blown away by the wind. You are part of the crowd, not planted by the stream. As we see in verse 3, living the good life is a description of life back in the garden. It says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. Love this quote from C.S. Lewis that really nails verse 3, but also kind of talks into the trellis idea. C.S. Lewis says, good things, as well as bad, you know, are caught by a kind of infection. If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be met wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to, or even into, the thing that has them. They are not a sort of prize which God could, if he chose, just hand to anyone. They are a great fountain of energy and beauty spouting out at the very center of reality. If you are close to it, the spray will wet you. If you are not, you will remain dry. Once a man is united to God, how could he not live forever? But once a man is separated from God, what can he do but wither and die? So with that in mind, we do all these rhythms and systems and structures, not for legalism's sake, or even for religious sake, but just to try and help us to remain by the river, always. John Tyson, who's a pastor in New York, tells a story of taking his daughter to a fireworks display. Um, they headed out to a country town, which is where this display was. When the fireworks were all done, he wanted to head back, but his daughter wanted to stay in stargaze. Because they live in New York, where there are no stars due to light pollution, it was kind of a big deal to be in the country. So he obliged and they stayed. And as he says, the longer he sat there, the more stars seemed to appear. And he was struck in awe with the beauty of God's creation. His point in that story was that we can get so caught up on the next big thing, like conferences and Easter camps, which are great, and you should go. Or even just routinely coming here on a Sunday, which is also great. But we need to remember all the other times too. All of the time in between the big things. The fireworks are cool and exciting and don't happen often. But the splendor of the stars is always there. So don't miss the stars for the fireworks. We need to invite God into all of it. He is ever-present, so don't just wait for Sunday or Easter camp. Setting up these rhythms helps us to take notice of those stars, to remember who it is we're getting life from and living for. When life gets busy or stressful or hard in any way, we tend to retreat and batten down the hatches, like defensive mode. Often the first things to go when life goes wonky are morning quiet times, or Sabbath day ends up being no different to the rest of the days. Prayers may be less often or less dynamic. Surely I'm not the only one. Uh, I hope not. I, I definitely can vouch for that, and I'm even still trying to come out of that space, if I'm completely honest. The unfortunate irony there is that the things that we drop off first when times are tough are the very things that would be giving us life in those moments. 
and the actual stresses are the things that get to remain part of it. Um, a group of guys meet up on Thursday mornings just to check in on each other and how some of our practices and routines are going. It's not a strict thing, again, it's just an encouragement time. And Louis actually talks a lot about the 1% idea, and I don't remember who he's quoting. Um, but in regards to building habits, we don't need to be mastering everything all at once. Just take it in bite-sized pieces. 1% improvements until a healthy habit is formed. Start small and grow it in time and with grace. That and habit stacking. So, for example, if you already go for a morning run, try including prayer or listening to worship or something while you run. Instead of starting a whole new habit. Uh, Greg Boyd again. He says, choices become habits. Habits develop our character. And character becomes our destiny. So we become the decisions that we make. Whatever we do, we get good at doing. We become solidified. In the end, we choose good because it's in our character. We aren't merely people who choose love. We are loving people. It's our identity. So Practicing the Way has these nine practices as a guide to help us get on the right track, to help us make those choices that become those habits that mold our character to find our identity in Christ. But there's no expectation to do all nine. Just start with one that you would like to do. Maybe five minutes in the morning with your Bible. Perfect. Start small and you're more likely to keep at it. When that becomes natural for you, add a new habit or extend the time you're doing it for. Keep growing in God and drawing near to him as much as you can. And also, tell someone close to you your plan, whatever it is. Nick had told me some cool stats and I didn't write them down. Uh, but telling no one about it and trying to tough it out on your own doesn't bode well. Uh, things like writing it down or making a good plan will help, but keeping someone in the loop to be accountable and to help you keep on track has huge benefits. After all, remember the five Ps, proper planning prevents poor performance. Sometimes there are six Ps, but that's not for Sunday morning. Don't beat yourself up if your plan doesn't quite go right. Give yourself grace. Just keep on tracking. Missing a day or a week doesn't mean you've failed. Trust me. God is still there. So just press on and meet with your God who longs for you to be with him, to be planted in or near his river of life. Will you be formed into a disciple planted by the stream or will you be formed by the crowd that the winds are driving away? I'm not proud to admit it, but I would say that I have spent the vast majority of my life in the crowd. Keeping Jesus in the loop, because he was pretty smart and had some good things to say, and I did believe he was God, but not actually making the step to be his apprentice and truly give him my life or sacrifice for him. I said in my head I believed, but in my heart I wasn't willing to plant myself by the stream. And as I said before, I left this next page at home. So <laughs> bear with me as I go through my scrambled notes here. Um, but Paul in Corinthians 15, 14, I'm going to paraphrase, said, uh, if Jesus was never risen from the dead, then our preaching is useless and so is your faith. So if we believe 
that Jesus was raised from the dead, and he is who he said he was, and he did what he said he did, then our faith isn't useless. And so if our faith isn't useless, surely it is, uh, we, we want to know him. And surely we want to be planted by that stream that gives living water. So surely we can implement some intentionality that is required. Um, I don't want people to make New Year's resolutions. Um, I know Nick talked about that last week, and it just doesn't go well. But I do want to invite and encourage you um, to try and implement some of these practices into your life. And so by building these practices, we can start building these trellises. And if we as a community are all building the big trellis, then God can move through us like the nasty banana passion fruit vine on my backyard. Uh, we love community here at Korimako. Um, and God in himself is community with the tr Trinity. And in Genesis, God talks as he makes each day, everything is good. And even when he makes man, things are very good. And there's one thing God says was not good in the creation poem. And it wasn't taken from the tree where sin entered our hearts. It was man being alone. Because he designed us to be in community. We work better in community and we grow in community. We want to be with him, be like him, and do what he does. So implement these practices to help hold the trellises to help see the stars over the fireworks so you can make the choices that form your identity in Christ. We will be shaped. So which way will you be shaped? Amen. Um,